World Season 2, Episode 5 is over, but we're just getting started talking about it here on the Welcome to Westworld podcast. Hello, everybody. I'm Josh Wiggler. Last week, you heard from a new voice. This week, a returning voice comes back with a triumphant return to the podcast. It is Joe Garfine. Joe, how are you? Healthy, I hope. Oh, I am so much better. Last week, I didn't have a voice, and I just want to say shout out to your wife, Emily Fox, for being an amazing Killed substitute. It. She was like an amazing substitute host in Westworld. Killed it. She crushed it. It was so much yeah. fun. Really enjoyed talking to Emily. Really missed talking to you, Joe, because <laughs> that episode was tailor-made for you. Are you kidding me? I know. I was so bummed that I got sick during the week of the most Desmond Hume episode ever. Yeah, what were, what would some of your takes had been if you had been on that podcast? Well, I was obsessed with the use of music as I have been throughout the series of Westworld. That, you know, to me, I feel like music uh, is not just there to entertain us, that it's actually a cue and it's a trigger for the hosts and it's feeding them information. That's the, uh, the piano in the saloon in, in Sweetwater. Or the reason that I feel like Lisa Joy just specifically focused in on that record playing in um, I call it the Delos Lair of Fire. Um, I feel a like fair there was name a, for it. I think a fair yeah. name. Yeah, um, I just love the concept of that being a, a trigger for how his day got started that we started seeing. Um, and so I was a little bit obsessed with the music. Um, I know that Lisa Joy herself is not a huge Lost person. I don't even know if she actually watched the show. So I thought that was a really interesting coincidence. Should we with- mistake coincidence for fate? We absolutely should. And uh, for those of you who like to drink during our podcast, we mentioned Lost, you're now drunk and we're getting out of the way. Getting you loose early on as we <laughs> are voyaging into Shogun World this week, Joe. Akane yes. no Mai is the name of episode five of season two, the long-awaited, much-hyped Shogun World episode. I'm seeing some takes online from people who were not you know, deeply satisfied with this episode, uh, I saw one headline that said um, the Shogun World it, uh, episode is exactly what I expected it to be and not much else. Um, I'd be curious to get your take on this, Joe. What did you think of the show finally voyaging into Shogun World, which has been teased for so long now? It's been on our minds for almost a year and a half since it was first introduced in the first season finale as a concept. I have to say, I was very pleasantly surprised. It is my favorite episode of season two so far. Wow. Oh, my God. I really would have thought that it would have been uh, the Riddle of the Sphinx last week. It's this one. You would think, and maybe it's because I was sick last week when I watched the episode. This week, I it has it's twofold. One, of course, is the tremendous performance by Tandy Newton. Uh, that alone would seal this episode because she is my favorite character and in my top five of all time now at all wow, television yeah. shows. Yeah. She's just, so good. Just fantastic. Um, and that goes without saying. And I just feel like the clever nature with, with within which they recreated Sweetwater in Shogun World um, and the way they used Sizemore as like a narrator and almost like a, a Shakespearean chorus for the audience. There was something about this episode that spoke to me, not to mention the beauty of the music and the scenery that they set and the sets that they built. I just feel like as much as it was a, a particularly gory episode, which you kind of expect to Shogun World, I was taken aback by how much I really loved it. Yeah, uh, you said that you br- you brought up the music. Raman Jawadi just absolutely crushed it with uh, returning to paint it black uh, in this in this totally <laughs> unique Shogun World style. Um, Cream by Wu Tang. Wu Tang. That was amazing. That was an incredible moment. Um, loving these new characters, Rinko Kikuchi as Akane, the titular Akane. Uh, I loved Hiro Sonata as Musashi. I got to interview Hiro Sonata. For this episode that's up on thr right now and joe i gotta say it's always a pleasure when i can say this i've been an admirer of his work for many years he's very recognizable from a lot of different projects yes. uh and good lord that is one of like the nicest most sincere individuals i've ever had the pleasure of interviewing what a I, what a delight what a amazing. delight that man. you guys should definitely read his josh's interview with him it's fantastic and also uh, Tandy Newton posted a video on Twitter behind the scenes where he's working with her on her language when she's working on this episode. It's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, he helped her out. She had a couple. She had she had one dialogue coach whose uh, name I'm blanking on right now. I think it's Junko Goda. Uh, yes. And and she also worked with Hiro Sonata, who on his days off would come to set to help Tandy Newton work on her Japanese. I had another article that was a deep dive into that. 
with Tandy, who is a, a pleasure to interview as well, and is very Maeve-like, just kind of has that uh, that Maeve-like swagger about her, where she just exudes cool. So always, always wonderful when like, it's not always the case, as you yourself know, Joe, from your experiences, <laughs> that the actor lives up to the hype. But in both of these cases, they really did. That's, I just love hearing that. I mean, I was in the presence of Tanya Newton at the Paley Fest panel for Wonder, um, WonderCon for Westworld. And she has a presence in person that's also like, it's intimidating, but just she's such a stunning human being. Um, and I have such a talent crush on her. And I, of course, you know, to hear her speak and then to see her learn an entirely new language and master it for this episode. I just feel like if there's going to be an Emmy episode to submit for Westworld, this is hers. Yeah, unless there's like something even crazier coming up, because I mean, we're not out of Shogun World by the end of this episode. Right. And if, if anything, we're digging in deeper based on uh, on how things end with with Maeve with sword in hand, with new voice at the ready. Uh, we could, you know, we could potentially be here for a minute. And that works entirely for me. I just think it's the world that, to create a whole new world, even though we were expecting it uh, and to find out that Sizemore in his laziness basically cribbed, you know, the Westworld Sweetwater Mariposa story and put it in this environment is so fascinating. It also made me think about what other worlds he could have put that in because it doesn't seem on the outset that the Raj was anything like it. So, you know, who knows in future seasons what we could see. One of the things that it clarifies for me, and it's something that Emily and I were talking about a lot last week, was the idea of reflections, right? Of like mirror images and yes. all of that. And the fact that we are hearing that word used so specifically on the show this week, reflections, and how there's this re re reflective quality between um, some of these hosts where they are matching against other hosts. I really do. I'm, I'm developing this feeling, Joe, and I, I would love to get your take on it as we kind of talked about it last week and to, to help you like clarify on this theme that I think is developing that there is this idea of reflections and how it's not just between two specific hosts like Mabe and Akane who share very similar backstories, if not, um, you know, exactly the same to the letter. Um, and, you know, the same deal with Hector and Musashi and uh, Armistice. Uh, and I don't know what the name of, uh, right. <laughs> of her doppelganger is. I've been calling her Doppelstis. Uh, yes. But, uh, you know, it, beyond that, I think, the mirroring and the reflection that is occurring between host kind and humankind and the, the lingering question of what else does Ford have up his sleeve? And was it his idea that the hosts needed to achieve supremacy or is it that much like he talked about when you die, you become music. Is it now in his mind was the theory that the hosts and the humans need to work in concert with and it's interesting that that's your take, because, of course, I have entirely different take. And my thought, I love your train of thought. Mine was, when I think about reflections, I think about that they are making hosts in the exact likenesses of the human beings that they're collecting data and DNA from. And so it's a reflection of the outside world that they're recreating inside to send outside at some point when they have consciousness. So there's so many different angles to think about reflection and mirroring. And I think this episode certainly brought it to light more than others. I think that um, I think that there's room for both of our interpretations. Yeah. In fact, I think what, what what you're talking about, I think, is like what is the Delos plan? Right. What is it that they're What is it that they're after? Uh, and that's like the dark mirror, the black mirror, yes. if you will, is the idea of extending human life uh, through this sort of um, you know this artificial means and using this technology purely to the benefit of humanity. And now. People like Dolores, and especially really Dolores, is looking to use the host technology purely for the benefit of the hosts. It's this us versus them mentality that is playing out between Delos as sort of this nebulous entity right now and Dolores as the, as the poster child of the host revolution. But I think what I'm positing is that the actual answer, hopefully, is a little more positive, that the, that the actual answer that, uh, that, that maybe this show is thematically driving toward in terms of if we're going to get ourselves out of these self-destructive tendencies and this really destructive path that both species seem to be on, that the way forward is hand in hand rather than uh, hand against hand. And I wonder if that's something that Robert Ford, independently of everything going on with Delos, is after. Mm. And it really helps strengthen this theory that we put out there last week 
um, that the man in black is on a collision course with himself. Yeah. Uh, that the that the person he is going to find on the other side of the door and the, the clues add up in terms of if you're looking forward, you're looking in the wrong direction and it ends at the beginning and it begins at the end. Um, it, it seems like could Ford have the man in black on a collision course with an older version of himself to somehow strengthen that idea that he's pitching here of humans and, and hosts having to work together while Delos really just is all in on humanity and Dolores is all in on hosts. I certainly hope so. That would be an amazing scenario. Lots to chew on. We haven't even really <laughs> talked about the episode yet, yeah. so let's do that. <laughs> so we be, we begin in the two weeks later time period. It's a very quick journey here, a uh, very quick scene here where uh, Bernard is looking at all of the hosts piling up. We are seeing uh, Costa and Strand kind of going over all of the details. They've lost a third of their IP in a single sweep, uh, a third of the hosts. It seems like they never held data to begin with. There's no user prints. There's nothing. And none of it is recoverable. What's going on here, Joe? I want to know, did you hear cradle or crater? Uh, I thought I heard cradle. I, um, it's interesting. I heard crater, but I, I mean, obviously either of them could be a third of the IP was burned in the crater. Mm. And I thought, well, maybe that's like, you know, the center where uh, their technology is. Or they threw the artificial intelligence into a literal volcanic crater. There's that, too. We're not in Hawaii, though. <laughs> no, well, we don't know. We don't know. <laughs> I mean, the leading theory is that we're in, like, some sort of island chain, maybe volcanic in nature. Who knows? That is true. That's a whole other show, though, for another yeah. day. We need to get our epic volcanic action finale. That was promised to us, and it never happened, and we need it. Uh, amen. Now, let me ask <laughs> you a question. Yes. The one third were never programmed. Were those, you know, skin suits ready to go programmed by Sizemore or Ford or who? Well, what if, you know, we know that this is taking place sometime down the line. What if these are um, what if these are some of these human hybrid hosts that Delos mm -hmm. has been working on at, that at this point in the timeline, Dolores has gotten her hands on? and has like intermingled with a bunch of these other hosts to kind of just like bolster the numbers while some other secret plan is at play. I like your idea a lot. Let's go with that. <laughs> All right. Uh, but Strand is, uh, he, he says, uh, it's quite a story they gave them in one hell of an ending. A lot of disparate threads coming together to make this nightmare. And we, if we figure that out, we'll know how the story turns. And in that moment, uh, Carl Strand is just saying exactly what every Westworld viewer is thinking. <laughs> like, what the hell is happening here? Somebody give me an answer. And I think it's interesting that no one's asking, where's Sizemore? Because I feel like he would be super essential to this. Well, the way that this story is playing, it's very much a slow burn right. stuff in the future. And I don't expect that we will get full clarity on it until potentially the final episode of the season, which is a choice. Right. You know, I, I, I think it is, um, you know, one thing that I've been seeing is I, I do think that there is a, a sense among some fans and some viewers that their patience is being tested a little bit in season two. And I don't think that that's an unfair criticism. Um, I'm on board. I'm good. I'm having a great time. But I, I understand that line of thought. Um, and I think with this story in specific, they're really taking their time telling it, telling it to us in bits and pieces. Um, no one really talking about where's Elsie, where's Sizemore, True. because they're they're showing us very select highlights, because I suspect that if they were to really pull the camera out, it would either tip off stuff that we're going to be seeing in quote unquote real time in future episodes of the show, um, or it's just going it, to it'll just get to the point of what they're driving at quicker than they want. Right. Um, so it's going to be, it's going to be a slower pace. I think that that's why we're not hearing like where Sizemore or anything like that. And I think that we're also to a degree restricted to Bernard's point of view that he is in all of these scenes. And so um, especially if they know what Bernard's deal is, which I think is still a pretty good possibility. I think maybe they're going to be a little more careful around him in terms of what information they're going to share. You're so logical, Josh. Gosh. I'm trying. It's it doesn't happen often, but in, in this case, I think that's what's going on. Fair. Um, all right, let's go to Shogun World. Let's get into it. 
and not much to say about this very first scene uh, where Musashi shows up uh, and his fellow Ronin show up. It's really just kind of a cool mini action scene where we figure out that Maeve's, um, her voice commands aren't going to work because she doesn't speak the same language or at least does not speak the same language quite yet. My biggest takeaway from this was how weird is the way that Sizemore says the word lasso? <laughs> That's because he's, is he's British. Is that how you say it? Lasso? I guess I didn't notice it, but maybe it was just an accent thing, but I don't think so. It was very odd to me, and it really took me out of the moment. It's like, why are you calling it a lasso? <laughs> I was so in the, into the scene, I didn't Sounds like notice. a Survivor tribe name. Oh, my God. Ooh, next lasso. season. <laughs> oh, my God. Keep them away from the orange buff. Uh, <laughs> but they get they get captured, and they're taken along uh, on a journey towards a village. And along the way, we see some gore. We see some eviscerated bodies, police officers who these Ronin have killed and hijacked their horses. And we get a great line. I believe it's from Sylvester, right? Who says, we've been captured by samurai cop killers. F me. Yeah. Which uh, is just like really describing the, the gravity of the situation. Yeah, I don't think they expected to ever, you know, come face to face with the people that they were fixing and, and, and bringing to life. And Sylvester and Lutz are basically our comic relief. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, this was hilarious where... Sylvester was like, Felix, come on, you can talk to them, right? It's like, I'm from Hong Kong, asshole. <laughs> <laughs> and he's in real life, he's Kiwi, so. Yeah, that's really great. I thought that was amazing. Um, but we get the we get the description from Sizemore, as you said before. He's a really great narrator in this episode, of kind of guiding us through what Shogun World's all about. And he says that it's for the true aficionado of gore. Um, this is for, this is the park for visitors who find Westworld to be too tame. And I think that that really bears out yeah. in terms of the the level of violence. It's almost comical. Uh, it's it's very comical, except that the, you know I, I always I cringe and then I go, wait a second, this looks familiar. In what way? I mean, are you talking about the? You're not talking about the the recreation of the Sweetwater violence. Oh, well, certainly there's that. But I but I also just mean that, like, the actual, like, blood and viscera. Oh, and, yeah. And the way that, like, you know, it's, it's you know, I know that, uh you know, Kurosawa is a big influence in terms of um, Jonah Nolan and Lisa Joy's approach to Shogun World. I think it's Tarantino-esque, who obviously he is very much influenced <laughs> by those same influences. But, like, I, I kept thinking about, like, all of, like, you know, it's it's like, it's almost like an anime at points, like a really, like, violent anime where somebody cuts their enemy in half and just like blood gushes out like a fountain like the way people were bleeding and dying and you know suffering injury in this episode it was so gruesome to the point that it was almost comical it was like absurd yeah, but there was also a strangely beautiful choreography to it all oh yeah definitely and so i from an aesthetic standpoint i try to remove myself from the violence and go okay this is a really well choreographed scene yeah, no, it was really brilliant. I think in, in that regard, I think that's a, a perfect segue into this next scene where we're getting the recreation of Hector and Armistice's uh, robbery of the Mariposa Saloon back in the season one premiere in the very first episode of this whole show, um, completely down to like the staging of the scene, shot construction. It's the same song, just performed differently. Um, there is, you know, the equivalent of a gunfight. It's a bow fight, <laughs> which is really incredible. There's even the, the butterfly on the ground, the mariposa yep. on the ground. Um, there's the guy who's saying, that's Yoriki Yamato's horse, you know, which is like very evocative of how Hector was approached in the first episode. And Sizemore even has the great line, once everyone's like, what the hell? This is us. And Sizemore's like, yeah, I'll admit it. I cribbed from Westworld. Big deal. <laughs> you try writing 300 stories in three weeks. Unbelievable. I, I, um, I think I'm jumping the gun, but I just I keep thinking about the zombie Clementine. You know, that, yeah. that is just sort of like mimicking her doppelganger's lines. And Clementine seems way more zombie than any of the other hosts. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's one of the things that's really on display in this episode thematically. It's just the idea of hosts having doppelbots yeah. as as Sizemore 
says. And I think that connection is another huge piece of this episode. I think that's a theory that we'll get into fairly shortly here in terms of like Maeve's new voice and how it's really derived um, from, I think, uh, like sort of this like super sense of empathy almost is what I want to call it. It's, uh, we'll, we'll get into yeah. that. Um, but this, this scene, it, it plays out with Musashi slits the throat of this uh, invited guest from China to steal all of his gold. And Akane kind of sasses him the way that Maeve sassed Hector. Um, Armistice and Doppelstis team up for the first time. <laughs> that was amazing. Ma- yeah, that's great. And, and Maeve is freed. And she and her allies, they show up. And, uh, and Maeve is now speaking Japanese. And Tandy Newton's doing just such an incredible job. And now instantly, she now that she can speak the same language, her powers are kind of back in shape where she can really tell the hosts what to do. Yeah, I was thinking back to a couple weeks ago, the episode, I forget the title, where uh, they were in the river and she was trying to command the ghost nation. They were not listening to her. At that point, you know, Hector was speaking the language, but she wasn't. And so it's just a learning curve to how to control the hosts. Lord help Tandy Newton if she has to learn Lakota. <laughs> That's probably like how many languages. How many languages does she need to know? Seriously. Uh, what am I thinking? Well, that's that's why she's finding the new voice. It's go. true. Oh, gosh. Seriously. Amazing. Uh, one of my favorite lines from this whole scene is, Size were going, that's not supposed to happen. You know? <laughs> he just... Yeah. And Maeve, when she said, it looks like someone has a choice after all, that stuck out with me because the whole, like, fate versus free will. Yeah, no, and I think that's something that she has really advocated for. You know, you think back to that scene she had with Dolores earlier this season, uh, where like that really seemed to be the subject of the conversation. And she's really an advocate for that in this episode as well. Um, And you're right, this is a great scene. Uh, You know, there's a there's a scene in in Sweetwater in between here. But I think I I would like to just run through Shogun World and then we can get back to everything that's going on in Sweetwater if you're cool with that. Um, So we were in the tea house. There's the dance. Maeve is impatient, you know, like a true Westerner. Uh, It's just perfect. (laughs) Um, And Sizemore's were talking about how, like, if you don't hear people out, you dishonor them. And sometimes you dishonor them homicidally. So. Uh, and they get into the big argument about um, is what Sizemore doing plagiarism. He argues that it's it's supply and demand. Hector doesn't trust Musashi. Armistice really trusts her doppelbot, and it's <laughs> they're like pantomiming each other. It's like sim- synchronized swimming. So great. Um, and then one of the shogun's envoys arrives, and he is here to command a dance from the lovely Sakura, who is. Akane's fellow dancer who who works for Akane uh and I think you're you know you're supposed to feel a real parallel between Akane and Sakura and um and Maeve and her daughter but Tandy Newton also talked about it in terms of Maeve and Clementine that the dynamic there is very similar as well and how Akane will do anything to protect Sakura much in the way that that Maeve probably would have for for Clementine uh and here Akane doing anything for Sakura means instigating war with the Shogun as she (laughs) brutally stabs the envoy and is forced to hire Musashi to protect her. That's I need to watch that again. What a scene. It's a great scene. It's a really incredible scene. And uh, Maeve is going to implore Musashi to let her join in in protecting Sakura uh, Sizemore, who is proving his worth in in this episode for sure, even though he's going to have one scumbag moment later on. Yeah, uh, he's he knows the park. He knows Shogun World. He knows that there's this place called Snow Lake, like a town, it seems like uh, that's uh, Sakura's cornerstone and also has an access point back to the tunnels so they can get back on their way to finding Maeve's child. Uh, so it's all it's all coming together, Joe. And I was thinking more about Lake and Reflection. You know, you just see yeah. like that. They're all connected. Yeah, I want to see Snow Lake. That seems like a beautiful place. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and I, I, I wonder. If, yeah. Go ahead. No, go for it. No, I was just I, I just literally my next note is ninjas exclamation <laughs> point. Yeah. Yeah. Ninja battle. It wouldn't be a trip to Shogun World without a ninja battle. Uh, and the ninjas are showing up. And as they're showing up. Um, Maeve is kind of having like this meditation where she's flashing back 
to her own daughter and her memories of that. But she's also like seeing that reflected in the relationship between Akane and Sakura. And she's like able to kind of like access those memories of, of what's going on with Akane. She can like see that stuff. Um, I have a theory that I feel like is, um, is, is basically what's going on. Okay. Like, I, I feel like I know what's going on, but, but I'd be curious what your take is on this first. Are you talking about the mind control? Yeah, I think that this is related to that, right? Like the fact that she's going to be able to like wordlessly control the ninjas and the shogun's warriors later in the episode, and the fact that she is able to actually see another host's memories, um, that feels like that's all linked to me through a very specific means. I Yeah, I have a crazy theory that I was going to wait for the end, but I think now is a good time. All right, bring it up. I think that Maeve is the technology. I think that she has superseded, surpassed, and become all, absorbed all of it. And that she is what Dolores, Dolores may not know this, but that the the tech center of all of Westworld will wind up being Maeve. I think that um, certainly like we know that Maeve's abilities have been boosted all the way to the max, right? Yes. Like that's something that happened in season one where like all of her levels are just cranked all the way up. Um, and then another thing that we learned earlier in this uh, season, in the very first episode, in fact, is when um, when Charlotte and Bernard are trying to find Abernathy. Bernard is the guy who says all of the hosts operate with like this kind of hive mind. There's like this network that they are all on where they can ping each other. They can like send signals to each other. To right. let each other know where they are and to, to like have all of that. So Maeve, with all of her abilities boosted the way that they are, being like at the absolute maximum of intelligence and, and all of that, I feel like she's hacked the hive mind. I feel mm. like she is wielding this like this fundamental part of like the host's anatomy if you will like what makes the hosts tick and what they can do that we can't do that hosts if they're able to tap into it can genuinely be telepathic and can communicate telepathically but to like do that with agency as a host is something we haven't seen before and i think that that's what we're seeing right now and it's so interesting because i think about you know on the other side of the park what dolores is doing and do these two ever are they ever going to see eye to eye do they have a conflict do they fight each other i'm just so i cannot wait to see how it each of them fares against each other or with each other yeah and i mean i think that the way that it's been visually represented like it doesn't seem like dolores is controlling the other hosts in the same right. way as mave but she has like absolute rule over her minions um but i think as we see in like the scenes with teddy that that's really more a matter of like controlling their attributes rather right. than like speaking with them and communicating with them and Maeve does it in a very dark way in this episode. <laughs> but you also get like a suggestion of what it would be like in an empathetic way when she tries to do it for Akane. Uh, right. and, and Akane resists because she'd rather, you know, uh, it's the old cipher adage of uh, ignorance is bliss. And then you eat a big bite of steak in the Matrix. Uh, you know, <laughs> like that's what she seems to want. Um, but I think like you get the sense that it can be used as a weapon. Yeah. Uh, and it can also be used as um, a tool and it can be used as like a bonding mechanism potentially as well. Absolutely. And I think, you know, her heightened senses are going to get her, her to her daughter long before the season finale. Yeah, I hope so. I certainly hope so. Um, For sure. Ninja battle. Ninja battle happens. Ninja battle is really cool. Uh, I, I have a note. I just wrote they literally brought swords to a gunfight. Yeah, they did. I mean, <laughs> I really want to <laughs> see like since we know that like the. We know that in like their code, the hosts can access Japanese. They can speak those languages. So, and we know that Maeve is really cranked up to the max. So she's the one who's going to have the easiest time doing all that stuff. But I hope that that also means that much like, you know, again, like the matrix, how like Neo could just like plug in and learn, you know, upload all these abilities to him, to himself. I hope that that's like a possibility for these characters because I got to see Rodrigo Santoro uh, in a sword fight. Like that's something I um, need to see. I, I feel like that's a strong possibility. And I actually really like that they're using him more this season. He's great this year, right? Absolutely. And I just think he's got more depth than they, they you know, were able to show us in season one. And, um, you know, how Dolores proceeds with Teddy, I'll be curious to see how Maeve proceeds with Hector. Yeah. 
I don't know. It's the Paolo revolution and I'm here for it. It is the Paolo Rev. Yeah, Paolo <laughs> Rev. I'm here for I'm I'm Paolo Revving all season long. I'm very excited about it. Uh, Lost fans can hashtag that to us. Yes. Ninja battle occurs. And the cool part is when Maeve, without even speaking, is able to convince a ninja to shove his face into a spike. And it's gross, but it's awesome. As you do. As, <laughs> as she does. It's <laughs> something I would never even be uh, in a million years be capable of doing. Um, but it's it's all crazy. Somewhere in the madness, Sakura is taken. Uh, and on top of that, as the ninjas run away, the Shogun's army marches into town um, and Musashi knows what their tactics are. Here we learn a little bit more about his backstory. He used to be the captain of the Shogun's guard. So he knows what their tactics would be. He knows what they would do. Um, so Musashi and Hector and Armistice, they're going to step out against the Shogun's guard and cause a distraction while Maeve and Akane and, um, and, uh, and Sizemore and Felix and uh, and Sylvester, they're all going to be able to to bail out and TBD on what happens to Masashi and Armistice and Hector. I'm sure that they're going to be just fine. Yeah, I'm not worried about that trio. <laughs> I mean, maybe eventually, but not like right now. Like we'll see more from them. It could be like a bad situation for them as soon as next week. Uh, but like, it's not like this is the last we'll ever see of them. Is in this moment. No, we need more of Robo Charlize. Oh, uh, very important that we get that for sure. Absolutely. Atomic Blonde for sure. Uh, so, <laughs> so we we go back the next day. Uh, Felix is going to hitch them a ride. He's going to hire them a ride. They're going to go to the Shogun in order to find Sakura. Maeve is really devoted to the cause of helping Akane because she feels bonded to her. Sizemore is so out on this. And Maeve is very indignant towards Sizemore, where she says, you can't keep doing this to us, giving us people to love and getting upset when we do. Uh, which is a, you know, another great commentary on the nature of what it's like to be a host. Yeah, there's some real gems dropped in this episode. All over the place, including oh, yeah. including uh, the bag of gold that Musashi collected from the man whose throat he slit. Right. Real quick, let's go to the guard. Yes. The uh, Shogun guard that shows up that Musashi, sorry, Musashi, Musa- I can't even say his name, sorry, that Hiro Sonata is, uh, used to be a part of. Um, in the last episode, we saw a beheaded Shogun guard, you know, that Sizemore found. So who killed that guy? Yeah, probably Musashi, right? <laughs> but, think. counterpoint, what if someone did it to steal his brain ball? Oh, interesting. Yeah. May- I mean, maybe. why else behead him? Yeah, it could be that, like, there could be, like, a contingent of people here in Shogun world who are of that mind, right? Of Who are, like, right. who are who are inciting their own revolution. We really haven't seen the possibilities there on the table, for sure. Right. Okay, moving uh, on. As we move on, I think really the only thing worth noting as we are on the road uh, to, uh, to the Shogun is Sizemore stops for a pee-pee break, and on his pee-pee <laughs> break, he steals a radio. So Sizemore's character growth is only growing so far, it seems. Right. Well, it reminded me of when Ben Linus took the walkie-talkie, but then it, the walkie, someone talked into it and he got found out on Lost. It's like, you got to turn off the tech if you're going to steal a dum-dum. Yeah, at the same time, I don't know that I blame Sizemore too much. Like, keep your, keep your right. options open, maybe. Like, it's a risky play, but you just don't know how this is all going to turn out. Right. But you certainly, you know, it'll be interesting if the cavalry does show up to Maeve and her company, like what the hell happens yeah, there? So who knows what's going to happen there? Uh, Maeve and her, her team, they reach the Shogun. Um, everyone's a little nervous. Sylvester is especially <laughs> very nervous. Maeve starts to lie to the Shogun and come up with this story of the guardian of the three provinces. And it's like this statue from the emperor's blacksmith and, <laughs> She's, uh, you know, she's apologizing that they've got, like, no other gifts or anything. And Sizemore's like, wow, that was really convincing. And Maeve says, not very convincing to the rest of the guard. It seems like uh, this is not really going over. It's falling on deaf ears. Little do we, little do we know. Oh, literally. <laughs> it is falling on no ears. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, they... <laughs> They burned off the host ears so they can't be controlled by Maeve. It's crazy. Maeve, the witch of Shogun World. Ah, oh, so it's great. really awesome. She's a, she's a bad, bad witch. Um, I, that was an interesting choice. Yeah, definitely. Well, we find out that the Shogun himself 
is um, not woke. He's just the lunatic. He's uh, he's gone mad. There's cortical fluid leaking from his ears. The milk, the milk yes. is pouring out of his gourd. Uh, <laughs> so he's broken and he is uh, uh, mad with power and he has forced all of his men to take off their ears so that uh, Maeve cannot influence them. Uh, and knowing who Maeve is and knowing that Akane is here, uh, he wants to make a deal. His deal is basically, Akane, you are the best dancer. Sakura is great, but you are just the best. If you two dance tonight, if you dance for me, then Sakura is yours. I will give her back. And Akane accepts the deal without reading the fine print, which is always, always a bad move. Indeed, indeed. <laughs> uh, ouch for later. Ouch yeah, for later. You knew this was not going to end well. But uh, the, the Shogun Guard leader leaking cortical fluid seems really key to me. Um, you know, it, it's happening concurrently with Bernard leaking cortical fluid. Does it have to do with, you know, Maeve's takeover or Dolores' takeover and all the change in technology? Is it happening from outside? Is anyone able to control that? I mean, I'm, I'm just very curious about it. They, they, they keep showing it. Yeah, I think for Bernard, like, Elsie uh, seemed to imply that it was from the gunshot wound to the head, like that he had shot himself to the head and it wasn't repaired properly. So it makes me wonder, is there like, some sort of head trauma that the Shogun uh, suffered before we met him or some other like failing that happened to him, uh, some sort of like violence that was inflicted upon him. And then the switch flipped by Ford. Um, could that be connected? Right. I'm, I guess we won't know for a while. Yeah. Cause I mean, it doesn't really matter with the Shogun anymore, given, uh, <laughs> yeah. given what's about to happen. Um, but Akane and Sakura, they're going to start preparing for the dance. We see the cherry blossom tree that's been uh, carved into Sakura's back, which is very, very nasty and painful looking. Um, yeah. And this is where Akane tells her story uh, to, to reassure uh, Sakura. And it is very familiar both to us and to Maeve specifically, because it's essentially the same exact thing, word for word. That Maeve said all the way back in the first season of the show, the whole you can be whoever you want speech. Um, so, again, reflections. Exactly. So many. Oh, such a great scene. When you see Tanny Newton's face in that scene, you know, sort of as yeah. she comes to her different realizations. I'm sorry, I'm just obsessed. Give her the Oscar, give her the Emmy, give it all. Give, give her a Tony. I don't care. <laughs> Tony Hopkins. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> But yeah, so she, you know, she's very taken in by it for sure. And this is when she comes to Akane, who she's been very drawn to, and basically offers like, I can wake you up, I can take you to a place that's true. What if there's a new world that holds the truth and every story you've lived here is a lie? And she starts like trying to like, wake her up, like she's like showing her stories, like she's like doing this like mind meld with her. Um, that Akane is resistant toward. Yeah. And I think I think it's such a cool delineation between Maeve and Dolores here that Maeve is the one who like decides like okay you've made your choice some things are too precious to lose even to be free uh Dolores never in a million years would have uh would have accepted this she would have just driven Akane straight into the horde right I feel like it's interesting you use the word choice because I feel like Maeve has um in her awakening has a little bit more empathy sympathy and humanity to her than Dolores totally choice choice is an option yeah, 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 she she offers it up. Yeah, it's fascinating. I know that they're not together. I know their stories aren't meant to be compared, but I I keep thinking about the difference between the journeys of Maeve and Dolores, and I feel like there's a specific reason for that. Well, they're both in the maze, and I think eventually they're going to reach the center together, and the question is going to be, what is it that they find? And again, can they find whatever it is they're looking for hand in hand, or will it be in opposition? Um, you know, I think it's entirely possible that this story is building towards some kind of big battle between Maeve and Dolores, if only philosophically and not literally. Right. Given the, the way Dolores is active, literal is not a bad bet. Um, or is it working towards harmony? I just I don't I don't I don't really know quite yet. I kind of love that we have no idea. I mean, honestly, oh, yeah. Yeah, it's I'm not a person who visits uh, Reddit uh, I don't I try not to read other people's articles until and listen to podcasts till after we do ours so that their theories don't integrate with mine. So yeah. I don't really have like the the sense of what the other rabbit holes are out there. But I'm sure there are amazing fans out there who have amazing theories. Amazing theories. Oh, uh, shoot. <laughs> so we'll, we'll finish up Shogun World with the dance. 
uh, Akane and Sakura come out and the Shogun is impressed, except there's one detail missing. And then, youch! Yeah. Stab, stab Sakura, like you said. Saw that coming. Yeah. And and then, you know, when you use your hairpin to behead someone, it's a really strong hairpin. It's a very strong uh, hairpin. Maybe it was because she was just so pumped up by the music. Because she starts dancing. Sure. It's Wu-Tang. She's got that Wu-Tang I mean, power. <laughs> I'm telling you, music is essential to what these hosts are doing. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I <laughs> between the record player last week and between like yep. this, like, it's certainly um, adding an element of color to the scene. So it's just like making the scene more vibrant. And it could be only that. But I, I do think that like your idea that there is something literal happening in the music, it's something worth tracking, especially in light of these past two episodes, I think. Um, yeah, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely obsessed with that particular theory, even though I don't have any answers. But it's just fun to think about every week. So Wu-Tang's blaring. Akane murders the Shogun in remarkably <laughs> graphic fashion. Like, everybody is so shocked by what she's doing that they can't even react until it is, like, way over. Like, the Shogun is even able to, like, stand up and, like, fall forward uh, before <laughs> anyone does anything. And it seems like it's going to be lights out, except that Maeve... Uh, she pulls off some witchcraft. She, you know, manipulates all of these different soldiers into fighting each other and killing each other. And it's crazy. And now all of these other soldiers are like rushing towards the Shogun's palace and everybody's freaked out. But Maeve seems super calm, super ready. She grabs a sword. Uh, one of the characters says, what do we do now? And she says, I told you, I found a new voice. Now we use it. And that's, that's where we're left with, with Maeve with sword in hand. And I'm telling you, man, like, she's got this, like, incredible, like, access to this aspect of the hosts that was designed into them that she is using as, like, this revolutionary new part of their biology, as it were. And it's freaking cool as hell. It is. And it's not at all where I expected this season to go. And I have no idea where it's going. But I just think, you know, in anyone else's hands, it may not have been pulled off as well and so successfully. But I mean, I know where I'm a broken record. Hey, music. But Tanny Newton is the reason that we are buying into this hook, line and sinker. Totally. All right. Shall we go to Sweetwater? Oh, yeah. Let's go to Sweetwater where bad things will happen. Um, it, but it's cool to go back to Sweetwater and see it. It is empty. Obviously, there's, you know, blood, there's bodies in the streets, but it's really kind of a ghost town. Um, and we knew that Dolores wanted to come back here. She said, there's something I need in Sweetwater. They come home and it seems like it's the train. That's what she needs. She needs it stripped for parts, uh, fix what's broken, strip her for speed. So she wants to use the train to go somewhere. And it seems to me like she wants to use the train to go back to the Mesa, right? Next stop, Glory. Oh, yeah. Like, that could be it, too. Yeah. Um, unless the two are the same. It's not impossible. I mean, we just don't really know. It's never been fully clarified what it is they want to to go to, like, where it is they want to go. Um, although she also talks about how she wants to go and find her dad. And her dad has been taken back to the Mesa. So I think that that's where she's going. But the question is, is that also Glory? Right, and is the terraformed new part of the park that young man in black showed her, is that glory? Is that where she's ultimately headed? Yeah, I think that that seems like that's the final destination, and maybe she's on a little bit of a detour coming up. Um, but we, we're, as we're here in Sweetwater, we get this scene that you talked about between the two Clementines, and, oh, it's brutal! Not the most brutal thing that's going to happen in Sweetwater, but, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> blood blood uh, was spilled in this episode uh, in every part of the town. I half expected Dolores to kill the new Clementine to like pacify the old Clementine. That's how yes. low that's how low I think of Dolores right now. It's interesting because you think about Maeve's maternal mentor relationship with Clementine, but it seems like Dolores has adopted her under her wing a little bit too and has a soft spot for her. Yeah. I think I think that uh I think Evan Rachel Wood actually has been getting like a good amount of heat. For the Dolores character arc, as if it's her Why? fault, as if it's her fault that Dolores yeah. has taken a darker turn. That kind of behavior, I will never understand for the life of me. And I know you talk about it a lot on Twitter, especially if choose kindness. But gosh, um, I do think that by design, the Dolores storyline is hard to watch. Like it's hard 
to watch this character that uh, was so central in the first season of the show and remains central in the second season of the show doing things that you don't necessarily like or doesn't necessarily make you feel comfortable or that you don't agree with. Um, but I, I got to imagine that that's building towards a, a compelling epiphany for her. I, I think, in fact, like what she's about to do to Teddy here, it's yeah. going to ultimately be a wake up call to her. I think it's going to alter everything we know and everything she knows. And yeah, to go back to your earlier point, I mean, the actors do not write these. Not so, always, anyway. Yeah. So, uh, not, not a Westworld. Not a Westworld. Certainly 99%. Certainly there's input and certain uh, directors and writers take that input. Uh, but um, I think, you know, some people get so invested in it. I understand into characters and into shows. It's just that the way they choose to then address the actors who are paid professionals to play them, um, that sometimes is, is questionable. And, you know, again, it's such a small part of the fandom. I think that, you know, as someone who focuses on the positivity across all fandoms, in my experience, the Westwood fandom is 99% spectacular in terms of yeah. kindness and constructive criticism and constructive discussion. Totally, totally. Um, yeah. Dolor Dolores and Teddy are going to ride out to the place where they always used to talk about someday. Uh, <laughs> we're going to leave and make a life somewhere someday. And Teddy's going to say, well, let's just do that right now. Let's go. Bail. Close the briefcase. Deal. Let's okay. get out of Dodge. Let's go hide. Let's walk away. And poor Teddy has no idea that he's just like digging his own grave here because <laughs> Dolores is so in. She gives him the story about the blue tongue, about the cows. Um, yes. And I wonder if like that was even a storyline that was ever that ever actually existed or if that was just like a false memory or whatever. Um, but there's this story about the blue tongue that the cows got sick and it was carried to them by the flies, um, which I think actually maybe is a compelling point in the column that this is a real story because wasn't it said once that the flies are like the only real things in Westworld? Like those aren't like designed. Those are like actual flies. So maybe they would yeah, have been carriers of disease. Yes, because they couldn't be controlled. Right. Um, so I don't know. Maybe someday flies are going to bring some sort of disease that's going to wipe all of these people out the blue tongue will Maybe. take them all um but she like says like teddy how would you have solved blue tongue and teddy's like oh i'd give them the house and i'd <laughs> put the weakest in the house and the others would be outside and i'd give them extra food and i'd give them hugs and snuggles and she's like no we burned them killed them <laughs> killed them all okay i have one note about teddy for this entire episode my note is so earnest so kind so dead the sweetest the sweetest water uh, is, uh, is, is sweet Teddy flood, but man, oh man, this is, you're not picking up the signals, dude. Not at all. <laughs> it's great. He's just like, but, but you know what? Kindness. Shout out to James Marsden for playing him with such a beautiful earnesty. And like, you feel like he is in love with Dolores. Yeah. Yeah. You really do get that sense. Okay. So we go back to Sweetwater and I'd missed this in my notes. I thought that I, that this was right. Um, but when we go back to Sweetwater, we find out uh, from Angela that they caught up with the men who took Abernathy and they took took him back to the Mesa. So it seems like the Mesa is going to be the next stop just to find Dad Bernathy at the very least. Um, right. And as that's playing out, uh, we're gonna get uh, we're gonna get Teddy and Dolores. Like, let's let's rest up. We've got a we got an early morning, so they're gonna make it a late night. Yeah, they had some bomb chicka bomb. Yeah, bomb chicka wow wow in full effect. And it's sweet. It's nice. It's great. Like, tender moment for sure. You love to see love on this show. But, like, it it is <laughs> and, soured like so much milk, Joe. <laughs> and the whole time I'm like, oh my God, she's going to kill him while they're having sex. Like, that's my. <laughs> I was thinking about that. Again, how low our opinion of Dolores these days. That's on the table. No, I Actually, my opinion of Dolores has not changed. I, I just. It's not that I don't trust her, but I just she's she's unpredictable in the Wyatt and Dolores of it all. But she's a woman on a mission um, so different than Maeve that I just, you know, knowing what we saw in the first episode about Teddy's fate. Now I'm waiting for it. Yeah, totally. Uh, well, here we go. She wakes Teddy up in the night. Teddy's like, oh, man, I was sleeping. It was so great. We were in a bed for the first time in forever. And she's like, yeah, well, you can't <laughs> sleep in. I got to show you something. She takes him for a walk. And she says, I've been watching you for the past few days. Everything has been, you know, I've been watching you and I see you so clearly. And Teddy's like, sweet, I passed. And she's like, no, you failed. And she shows him Ugh. like a gross cow 
And I don't know why she felt the need to like literalize the story about the blue tongue. Unless it's a, is that, was that a body? Like, I don't know what it was. I thought it was a cow. I'm not sure. It's a slab of meat. It's dead. It's a dead thing. Whatever it is, it's dead. It's covered in flies. Uh, And uh, she brings in her, her minions and she brings in Phil, the lab tech. Uh, They pin him down. And she says, I wish there was another way, Teddy, but where we're about to go, it's no place for a man like you. And she seems gen- she seems genuinely sorry. She's, yeah. She seems like this is not something that she wanted to do. Uh, but here she is. She's doing it. And Teddy is upset, as Teddy has every right to be. And uh, the engineer is like, this might not work well. Uh, I don't know how he's going to hold together with a full reset without making some other changes. And Dolores is just like, yeah, yeah, yeah but we got to do it. So let's just get it done. Uh. To grow, we all need to suffer, Josh. Oh, oh my God. Yeah. So, like, I'm excited, though, for James Marsden and for Teddy for, from here on out, because I was wondering why no one's altered his humanity, because he's been so normal and human, especially compared to and with Dolores, that I cannot wait to see what happens next. Um, there's So there's screenshots of the, um, of the monitor where, okay. uh, where you see Teddy's, uh, his code... Before he was changed, and you see his code after he was changed. This was posted by Spritzlike on Reddit, and I know you don't go down the Reddit rabbit hole too much, so I won't get too specific. Other than to say, okay. uh, uh, I'm I'm nervous to meet the new Teddy. <laughs> new Teddy seems like a very different Teddy. Seems well, like a, okay, seems like a bad Teddy. It's not a spoiler because there's uh, the screen was shown on screen. So if you could just give me a hint as to sort of what what they changed about him. All right. Well, his loyalty remains unchanged. So that's oh. great. His empathy has dropped. <laughs> <laughs> his empathy uh, has uh, has changed. Um, poor Teddy. Uh, his bulk app perception was pretty low to begin with. Uh, his yeah. intelligence was pretty close to the center of the diagram. It's pretty high. Pretty high oh now. It's really, really high. Uh, <laughs> yeah, his his capacity for cruelty actually was uh, virtually nil. It is uh, right yeah. at the heart of the diagram. It's maxed out. <laughs> it's maxed out now. Uh, so we're going to have basically a Teddy version of Dolores. Oh. Or Dolores version of Teddy. Oh, boy. Oh, no. Oh, no. So, <laughs> uh-oh. We're in trouble. Uh-oh. Yeah. You know, we, we've been here before with Teddy, right? Like we saw a little bit of this in, uh, in season one. Yeah. Uh, uh, so uh, the sounds potentially as dark, if not darker. No more Mr. Nice Guy, Teddy. The night is dark and full of terrors, Joe. <laughs> oh, my God. Abandon um, all hope, all ye who enter here. Oh, my God. All right. So that's Akane no Mai. Uh, any theories that you had from this episode that we didn't get to touch on? Mm, okay, so in the last episode, Clementine took Bernard. In this episode, right. Angela had Stubbs. Do you notice that? Um, Angela has Stubbs. Yeah, that's who she. I thought that's who she brought in to give the information. Wasn't oh, it Stubbs? Oh snap! I didn't see that. Um, Maybe I'm I, cuckoo. I thought it was Stubbs. I'd have to go back and look. I didn't register that at all. If that's the case. Okay. Well, yeah. I just thought I just definitely noticed it at the end of the last episode. Clementine took Bernard. Right. 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 And ideas like like before Angela took him to the cave to meet up with Elsie. So I'm just I'm just like it's so interesting because who's working for whom? I think uh, I feel like Clementine taking Bernard to the cave is once again Ford as the ghost in the machine. Like I think that okay. Ford Ford seems to have a lot of agency still here, uh, right? Even as just basically code. Okay. Um, I want to go over Bernard real quick. Who knows he's a host for sure? Dolores and Elsie know uh, he's a host. Yeah, that's it so far that we know of, I think. That we know of. Yeah, we don't we don't okay. know any others for sure. Okay. Okay, so uh, this is a theory I have that sort of because I wasn't on last week. If you'll if you'll uh, allow me, I'd yeah, like to of talk course. about um I have a theory that Dad Bernathy, in his current incarnation, a stuttering, you know, dysfunctional host, has the brain ball of Delos himself. Interesting. Because they have they have the similar stutter. I, he was built in his likeness, in my opinion. He's now in the stuttering state that we saw Delos's build um, before he was burned down. I feel like his his 
Brain Ball would have been preserved uh, after many iterations. And I just feel like because of the information Delos had, maybe that's why, I don't know how it got into Dad Bernathy or why, but I'm convinced of that. Just like I'm still convinced that when we saw Bernard wake up on the shore in episode one of this season, that he woke up with Robert Ford's brain ball. And that's why he's equally confused and knows everything. Well, that, and so I think, yeah, like it depends. Like, was that the, as we called it, the red velvet cupcake? Like, was that Ford's red velvet yeah. cupcake that Bernard took out of the lab? And is that what's in his head when he wakes up on the shore? Right. I mean, survey says we're leaning toward that, right? Or is that just to totally F with us and misdirect? I don't know. But I like the idea of, like, why would they spend so much time this season introducing the technology of the brain ball? And sorry if there's actually a real word for it, but we like saying brain ball. I prefer brain ball. Um, brain ball. Yeah. Everyone knows what it is. It's the ice cream cone brain. Yes. Um, you know, they, it comes they, in they, two flavors. It comes in vanilla hey, and red velvet. There are two sides. One is light, one is dark. <laughs> one is red velvet. Um, one's delicious uh so dad bernathy with the brain ball i just feel like uh there's potential to have different brain balls bernard seems to be very intrigued interested in studying the removal of the brain balls you know when he sees them and i know it's i know that your gut reaction is to be like that's because he's a host and he's he cannot believe he's seeing like the the, you know the inside from the inside out but I, i read it as another way that he's just learned how to do it himself yeah I can't wait to find out what's going on because they left that lab with the certainty that Ford had Bernard building another human body. And yes. I, I can't wait to find out who that is. And I really feel like it's going to be a men in black showdown, a face off. Do you think it's going to be young Jimmy Simpson against Ed Harris? I do. I do. Oh, I do. That's going to be amazing. Yeah. I think that would be great. And I think it's, uh, it's a way for Jimmy Simpson to remain on the show. Like I think that they could, right. they could now have Robo William. Uh, they could have him in the mix moving forward, and either that's an out for Ed Harris, or Ed Harris continues on in addition. Um, and why I would love it even more if Robo William was able to have some sort of victory. Then he could build himself a Robo Logan and we can get Ben Barnes on the show again. As well. I was just thinking that because, you know, I'm still convinced that Emily, Emily Delos, who, yes. uh, you know, just found her dad because um, she married into the Delos family. But it's Mana Black's daughter, Emily, Emily Grace, <laughs> as I like to call her. She's in the park now. They have found each other. I feel like she is working with or is uh, can join somehow with old man Logan. Yeah. So who, who is also bitter and angry at William, at the man in black. And so I feel like they've joined forces and we just don't know why. If it's nefarious, which would seem likely, I just feel like the introduction of the man in black's daughter is so key. And really, if you think about it, this entire, the theme of this season is family. Dolores is searching for her dad. Maeve is searching for her daughter. A uh, man in black's daughter is searching for him. And I, I just, such an interesting in a show that is so dark and so about technology, at the core, this season is about family. And I feel like those three individuals, Dad Bernathy, Maeve's daughter, and Emily Delos, are absolutely essential to what happens this season. Uh, you, you brought up old man Logan. So you're not buying when William tells James no. that, uh, that Logan overdosed. You think that like it's no. he's just like adding insult to injury? 100%. I also think uh, maybe it was Jimmy Simpson's, I don't know if it was a choice in the script, but I feel like he paused. He didn't right away say it. And I just feel like I know they showed us a younger Logan, you know, drug addled earlier. But my conspiracy theory brain, because it's Westworld, thinks that he's alive. Hope you're right. I, maybe, I, maybe he faked I, his own death and opened like, um, you know, something similar. He's working on the technology similar to Westworld. Yeah, I still want to see uh, somebody show up as an old man, well, Logan. Emily pitched Eric Bana, and I thought that totally. was amazing. That was incredible. Because they have the same look. Yeah, they just look the yeah. same. But yeah, I think they have to age them up a little bit. Oh, sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So overall, I'd say this is just an amazing episode. And I, what I love about Westworld is that, you know, we, we quote unquote study it a little bit. Like I don't go down rabbit holes, like I said, uh, in terms of reading other people's theories. But I love a show that makes my brain cortical fluid uh, virtually leak uh, with potential theories, but also that I have no clue what's going to happen. To me, that's a sign of amazing writing, uh, spectacular performances, 
it, it keeps me in. I, it's worth the year wait in between seasons to me because this is uh, what a genuinely enjoyable television experience. I'm having a great time. And the only thing that I'm not enjoying is the fact that I'm not going to be on the podcast next week. No. <sighs> Gosh, we're taking turns here. Oh, my God. All right. So update for next week. I am going to be away. I am not going to be able to uh, watch Westworld live, in fact. Uh, so I'm going to also have to miss the podcast due to some work travel on my end. But we will still have you covered here. Mike Bloom, who is doing great stuff with Jay and Jack, he is going to be uh, here on the Westworld podcast, taking my place, talking to Joe next week. So same bat time, same bat channel, just a different Batman this week. Uh, I don't know why I compared myself to Batman. What a horrible, horrible <laughs> insult to the Dark Knight. I apologize. You're a little more Robin, dude. Well, definitely a lot more, a lot more. Uh, and even that is an insult to the boy wonder. <laughs> um, but Mike will be here in my place. So I can't wait to listen to what you guys have to say about episode six coming up. We are officially entering um, the second half of season two wow. of Westworld. It's flying, Joe. I, it's a, it is. I cannot believe we've seen you know this many episodes. What a journey! What a, what a show, man! It's been amazing. All right, subscribe to what we're doing if you have not done so already. Postshowrecaps.com slash Westworld is the way to subscribe to our Westworld only feed. Our general show feed is postshowrecaps.com slash iTunes. Tons of other Westworld content and coverage going up at thrthr.com slash Westworld. Follow Joe. She's on Twitter at Joe Opinionated, like Opinionated with a J in front of it. And I am at Round Howard. We will be back, or Joe at least will be back next week <laughs> talking about episode six of Westworld. And I will see you guys again at episode seven. Take care, everybody. Bye. See you in glory. Glory.